A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate that everything, simply everything you can possibly think of, has its own history, like spots, wolves, and brains. Ooh. Ooh. I, should we do wolves, continuing the animally theme, or should we do spots? I, I quite like I the think idea should do... of spots. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, acne. Acne. Or, mm. or, or a, a very good friend of mine at college, used, who came from Scotland, used to call them... Plukes. Plukes. <laughs> oh, nice pluke. And you, you know, you're trying to hide a sort of, you know, uh, a sort of white head, you know, nestling in the sort of <laughs> crease of your nose. It's terrible. Anyway, we could also do pugs, jugs, and smugs. I love the idea of the smug. Um, drugs, mugs, and hugs. We've done the history of hugging, but the world needs all the hugs it can get at the moment, don't you think, Sam? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. Because we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining very carefully indeed how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, who knew that the history of bears is not just simply about teddy bears, Paddington, Winnie the Pooh or Rupert Bear. In fact, it's all about attacks and how to avoid them. It's about bears as pets fire Lord Byron. It's also about accidents, bear baiting in Shakespearean England, and also about global travel. Who knew? Mm. Or who knew that the history of board games is in fact all about prisoner of war camps during World War Two. It's about portability and the Vassa warship. Of course it is. That ship, that brilliant ship that we always talk about, which sank on its maiden voyage in 1628. It's also about Hadrian's Wall and chess as a way of looking at the cultural history of the world via the British Museum's Lewis Chessman. It's also about the history of game playing, the symbolism of backgammon and... <laughs> And also about the mysterious world of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> it's also all about foxes, which we're going to discover as well. Oh, um, let yes. me say of my of my fellow presenter, who is he? Well, twas autumn and the trees ablaze with colours rust and brown. The fox asleep in bracken snug lived just outside the town. No baying hounds, no braying men on horseback sought him there. Old Reynard, free from such as these, slept soundly without a care. 
from the wonderful poet Mary Anderson. He is the sleeping fox from just outside the town, <laughs> Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's James Daybell. Hello, James. Oh, hello, Sam. I love that little sort of po- poetic introduction there. Well, you may well be wondering who is that unattributed voice so ably helping Daybell as always co-pilot this very episode. Well, let's just say that if he were a fox-related historian, he'd only be the basil brush of the historical world, boom, boom, all-round entertainer and debonair performer, musically talented as well as archival digger, and always there with a chipper bon mot or catchphrase, and good friends, and probably not good friends with Dirty Gertie from number 30, but yes, you've guessed it, it's the famous historical adventurer, Dr Sam Willis. Hello, everyone. Do you you remember basil brush? I, I met the um, TV agent of Basil Brush recently. No way. <laughs> oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, what it was, was really that? Talk about that. Um, oh, no, well, I actually can't remember too many details, but I just remember speaking to this lovely lady uh, up in um, up in London, and uh, I asked her who she represented, and uh, the one she was most proud of was representing Basil Brush. So uh, Basil Brush doesn't just weirdly appear on your TV screens. He has someone, a human, working in the background to secure all of those uh, very important media deals. Anyway, today we are doing Foxes. Um, I can't remember why, but um, I'm very pleased we are doing Foxes. And uh, it made me particularly think, James, this is how I began, of a trip to the wonderful Royal Albert Memorial Museum in Exeter, where they have a fabulous collection of stuffed animals. And I suddenly thought, oh, I'm 99% certain that I've seen a lovely stuffed fox there. And it's got these beautiful long legs and prickly ears and the the amazing auburn fur. Um, I think I took my kids around there. But they also have all sorts of other uh, extraordinary stuffed animals from collections in the 19th century. Um, So I decided to look at that and to think primarily about... um, the natural world and how our understanding of that has changed through the medium of foxes. But hilariously, James, I then looked up this um, very important fox, stuffed fox at the Royal Albert Memorial Museum, and it's a wolf. Oh, <laughs> what I was thinking of isn't a fox. It is a, it's called a maned wolf, um, an elegant animal that lies on pampas grasslands and the edges of marshes in central southern America. They avoid human contact uh, and are of no threat to people, um, which is, you know, a fairly ironic um, <laughs> uh, uh, label there because they probably nuzzled up to this person who had a gun and then shot it between the eyes, uh, which is a shame. So um, the inspiration for this episode, or at least the inspiration for what I was going to talk about, is entirely wrong and it's all based <laughs> on a wolf. Um, but that will allow, allow me to talk about other things as well. That will allow you to ramble, ramble around the past. In, yeah. in, in a, a very widely entertaining way. I mean, I started thinking in a very sort of um, conventional way about foxes, and I was sort of thinking about the life of foxes. Uh, I was thinking about fox hunting and the transition um, from basically hunting them to kill them, uh, treating them as vermin to, uh, you know, it becoming a sport and all the sort of stuff around that. I was then thinking of uses of fox fur, um and things like that and then i i just decided no i'm going to do something completely different um and i was reading a really interesting article by an american historian called john lyle that was published a couple of years ago um titled the unsuccessful world war ii plot to fight the japanese with radioactive foxes so i'm going to talk about (laughs) i'm going to talk about that 
It's a. Uh, it was a. Uh, it actually never came to be. Uh, it never. It never came to fruition. But what is fascinating about it is that it was actually an awful lot of work was put into it. So the idea, the whole project was codenamed Operation Fantasia, and the idea was that they aimed to demoralise uh, the Japanese troops by mimicking legendary spirits that had sort of these sort of um that had these these sort of powers of doom and these spirits were called kitsune uh, or fox-shaped spirits with magical abilities and what happens was and i, I assume i'm going to kick off now should i just keep going um it, this yeah. basically what happened this is the period post um Pearl Harbor, uh, the Japanese sort of bomb Pearl Harbor, that's huge destruction, which brings the Americans into the Second World War. And Americans, the Americans uh, wartime intelligence agency, so the, the Office of Strategic Services, a man called uh, Wild Bill Donovan, basically gets his all the scientists around and and coming up with various sort of um, intelligent responses to this, and there are a whole range of things that they that this article talks about. There is, for example, incendiary bombs strapped to live bats, truth drugs, um, the repulsive um, odor of fecal matter that is sort of you know that they 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 that they All invent. There's a there's a explosive pancake mix. But probably the the most bizarre uh, ideas that these people came up with was this idea about um, Operation Fantasia, um, and it is re- it's really really weird. And the idea is that basically it is it's psychological warfare, and the it's the brainchild of a really eccentric businessman called Ed Salinger. Um, and he had had a he'd worked in in Japan knew a little bit about the the culture um he knew about the language he knew the the sort of superstitions and he knew about this um shinto portent of doom these fox-shaped spirits with magical abilities and basically people were really scared of them um and he wrote in a in a memo uh, that the the foundation for the proposal rests upon the fact that the modern Japanese is subject to superstitions, beliefs in evil spirits, and unnatural manifestations which can be provoked and stimulated. In other words, he he has this really actually quite a sort of ethnographically racist uh, way of viewing uh, the Japanese. You know, just assuming that if they see some fox, you know, some foxes mm, that they think yeah, are magical yeah. beasts, um, that they're going to be be scared about this. Mm. The next thing, though, is um, the the really interesting thing about this is how they how they work out various ideas to actually put this into practice. Because basically, what you need, what they want to end up with, is scary foxes running around Japan, scaring people. Um, and so they dream up all sorts of, you know, of ideas about how to do this. There are all sorts of crazy ideas. The first one is they come up with the idea of fox-shaped balloons to fly over Japanese villages and scare everyone below. They ask a whistle-making company to create a whistle 
that simulated fox sound. So you blow the whistle and people think it's it's a fox. Um, and then they hire another company to create uh, fox odours. So artificial odours that you can spray into the atmosphere and, and people sort of go, mm, ah, scary demonic fox, you know, it, it chasing me around. The, the other idea was that, that what they wanted to do was catch live foxes and take them over to Japan, spray them with grow with glowing paint, and release them into the countryside throughout the villages. In order to do that, though, what is weird um, is that they go through a whole series of experiments in order to make that happen. Of course, if you want to put, you know, spray paint on foxes you've got to have you've got to you've got to basically design that spray paint and the problem with this glow in the dark paint is it contained radium uh which of course is is really you know is really well is is really dangerous and there are records <laughs> there are records of you know women who were painting the sort of little watch dials in the early 20th century yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. suffering all sorts of things uh after that you've then got to get the paint to stick to animal fur and they try this with uh with a group of raccoons with uh, the help of somebody from the central park uh zoo um in in new york and they get the these raccoons and and see if they will you know if it will um stick to them they then do an experiment in Washington DC in a beautiful Rock Creek Park which runs all the way through uh the city uh you can drive through it on the on the freeway and they release 30 glowing foxes uh into Rock Creek Park and see the reaction and and you know it it did actually you know scare some people it, you know people were quite sort of horrified <laughs> by it surprised. these sort of these bizarre sort of um it's described in a in a in a national park police report as uh horrified citizens shocked by the sudden sight of the leaping ghost-like animals fled from the dark recesses of the park uh with the screaming jimmies uh as mm. they say the idea then though is how and it gets even more ridiculous sam the idea then is that they have to get them across to japan and they oh. experiment with foxes swimming um and you know can foxes swim you know that a particular distance so they they go out in, in a boat in the middle of the chesapeake bay put the foxes out and see if they can come to land and of course they can they can swim uh, oh. the problem is that when they arrive all the paint is washed off them uh, oh, yes. so the, the so the paint isn't there and it and it's it's washed off uh, so then they experiment with dropping them on shore um and and then the the most weird one afterwards is that they, there, there is a plan to basically. Um, here we are. This, this is it. Um, do we, we have, we have made a stuffed fox with a human skull affixed to his head, equipped Good with God. a simple mechanical device for raising and lowering the jaw, so as to simulate the opening and closing of the mouth of the skull. This stuffed figure will be painted to give the same luminous effect as the case of the live fox. So the idea is that then, basically, they drop this sort of bizarre human-like fox um into they drop it from a from a height from a balloon or a kite or whatever um and that this will then have uh a you know demoralizing 
impact on the Japanese population. The whole thing comes to nothing, and it is the and it is totally abandoned as a sort of you know harebrained idea. And in um, and Stanley Lovell, who's the head of the OSS Research and Development Branch, basically looks at it and basically says it's it's absolute nonsense. Uh, and he 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 tells his colleagues, "I trust that this will serve as a critique to us in the field of pure reason." So there we are, Sam. There's a really unexpected history of foxes. Yeah, very good. Um, it, it reminded me of um, people trying to train seagulls to sit on uh, submarine periscopes in the First World War, I think, uh, which also came mm. to nothing. And at the time, that made me wonder whether the people who were coming up with these ideas and wasting all their time, were they paid to do this? I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd really Probably. like to know how, like, who in, in the wars, right, who who's paid, who's a volunteer, and this kind of thing. Is there, you know, do you get a job working for this uh, for this research department and then rock up and then you get given all these fantastic projects i don't know i'd love i'd love to know know and thank you to john lyle um for for doing that doing that research uh and you know absolutely absolutely fascinating Mm, yeah, and um, the, the stuffing of the fox is particularly interesting, and that allows me to talk about my stuffed fox, which actually oh, isn't a fox. Look it's a wolf. at that! <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, but also, more broadly, if I maintain that I think it is a fox, <laughs> and I think they've got yes. it wrong, um, there which are is interesting foxes. because I, I do rem- vividly remember looking at uh, loads of stuffed foxes, uh, especially in pubs, um, and stuffed Ooh, foxes' heads yes. noticeably. But um, if I, uh, you know. Let's just just for, play the devil's advocate uh, and say that I saw the uh, the original label describing this as a maned wolf. Might have been wrong. It's actually really important to understand how people understood the natural world and when our understanding of it changing changed. And it's all to do with this fascinating period where where people studied natural history, and they did so from a a kind of a belief, a grounded belief that humans were superior over nature they could attain a kind of dominion over nature by organizing it by labeling it uh, by theorizing about it um and i think it's a fascinating window into a period in a world where people are are for the first time really setting about trying to explain um the world in which they live and they try and do so in a way that demonstrates that it has um an inherent order um and so by looking at these stuffed stuffed animals from fox or wolf whatever it might be it makes you realize that also the, the our understanding of nature what nature actually was changes over time um we could also look at them and understand how they were preserved i think this is fascinating so there was a real problem with preserving animals uh, particularly man- mammals I mean, originally they just put them in in liquid so wine rum uh, brandy gin was another one um which obviously doesn't work if you're a furry fox imagine a furry fox that's that's been stuck in a in a in a tub of of gin for a while they don't look very good um but then of course it's not just enough to understand what you're collecting and looking at in nature it needs to look good as well and we get this growing desire and body to show off um nature and that's of course linked with the histories of hunting and stuff and it's not just in private houses um i mentioned there that you know stuffed stuffed animals stuffed foxes particularly in pubs i'm certain i've seen a stuffed head 
of a fox and it's in a pub. It's either on Exmoor or on Dartmoor. All I can get in my head was that it was a quite a moorland place and I wasn't surprised that there was a stuffed <laughs> fox there, but it was quite gruesome. And, and People should um, get in touch with us if they if you own a pub or you have yeah. a local pub, get in touch with us and let us send us a picture of the fox. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In your absolutely. Pub. Um, and I found one description here. This is a pub. It was a kind of coffee housey pub in Chelsea in London, um, and it ran from 1695 to 1799. So it's a, a pub for a century. That's amazing. Good, good business there. Um, collects a historical specimen. So peace people come to see this place. It's called the Museum Coffee House or the Chelsea Nakatory. Nak Nakad K N A C K A T O R Y Nakatory. Um, is that something we're putting in the knacker's yard? I'm not entirely sure. Um, and they had 293 different um, rarities they described it as, including a starved cat found between the walls of Westminster Abbey, a pair of garter snakes from South Carolina, a 15-inch long frog, good Lord, a giant's tooth, barnacles and petrified rain. Um, so not only did they have um, actual examples of the uh, natural world, they also um, took part in this period of curiosity cabinets were like having a giant's tooth where um, people are trying to find evidence for monsters as well. This really happens with dragons, funnily enough, uh, just talking off the top of my head here, um, where... Um, <laughs> So dragons exist in the Bible, right? And so people believe everything that's in the Bible and it's the job of science to to investigate um, everything in the natural world which is defined by what's in the Bible as much as what you can see. So people were trying to find proof of creatures that they hadn't seen but they believed to exist and dragons is, is one of them. Anyway, I, I digress. Um, what we're doing here is talking about stuffed animals. Um about so foxes. What, yeah, yeah, it's about foxes, <laughs> thank you. Particularly about foxes and stuffing mammals like foxes. So to, you, to stuff a mammal like a fox, and if you don't do it in um, liquid, um, you've got a real problem with uh, how you preserve it because there's, a, there's a, a real problem with insects. Insects come along, they eat, eat your, your specimen, specimen, specimen dies. So the fact that you have these wonderful stuffed foxes, like the one at the Royal Albert Memorial Museum that's not a wolf... Um, it's all to do with people developing a way of preserving uh, preserving mammals. And that all happened in the 1770s. And they started it with um, using arsenic, um, mm. uh, which I thought was uh, very interesting. Um, and how do, how do you study all this? Well, you can actually, you can look at the specimens themselves. Um, there are wonderful descriptions from taxidermists describing what they do. And then you could find really, really old versions as well. And the oldest known taxidermy specimen is actually a grey parrot, which was buried in Westminster Abbey in 1702, which was a fact that I greatly enjoyed. So next time you're in a pub and you see a stuffed fox, um, consider what you're looking at. Is it the entire thing? That was a bit of an older tradition. Or is it just the head? That was a newer tradition that grew out of people displaying antlers and then stuffed heads. Um, and, you know, think about when it might have happened, the timing of it, and all of the science that went into being able to uh, to actually stuff it. So um, there's a whole host of histories there presented by the simple head of a stuffed fox, James. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, tremendous. Sam, do you know what I've been doing while you've been talking? I've been on eBay and I have typed in taxidermy stuffed fox. And would you believe you can buy for not that much money a stuffed fox? There's one, the cheapest one here. Vintage antique taxidermy stuffed fox. (laughs) Pre-owned, you'd hope so. Uh, £50 (laughs) or best offer. Free collection in person. There's a, a fox taxidermy... Uh, Red Beauty Stuffed Fox Cabin, £246.29 or best offer, £32.95 postage from Ukraine. Uh, it looks a terrifying fox with red eyes. And there's a, for £227, uh, large taxidermy fox stuffed full body on uh, driftwood. And it seems to have something in its in its mouth, like a mallard or something Um, I can find it, I can see it now and there was me wondering what I was going to get you for Christmas James (laughs) don't you dare Um, (laughs) don't don't you dare Um, no that's um, I I know a historian who is uh, actually is training as a was training as a taxidermist Um, I won't divulge her name um, but she's a Victorianist and and you know, and one of the sort of quirky, quirky things is to, um, you know, pick up roadkill and and oh, <laughs> and don't. stuff it. But I want to take us in a, in a in a foxy direction as well, since we're talking about foxes. And I chanced upon a book by uh, a writer called Edward Brook Hitching, lovely name, and the title of this book is Fox Tossing, Octopus Wrestling, and Other Forgotten Sports. And I'll come to some of those. But fox tossing, what rather like bear baiting, was a really popular aristocratic blood sport, very popular in uh, Germany during the 17th and 18th century. And it is the most extraordinary sport. And this is prior to, you know, fox hunting. It is literally hurling live foxes up into the air um and the, what you do is you basically you you it's played if we can call it played where you play a sport and it's played on a sort of patch of ground that you mark out or in a, in a on a courtyard and you have these fabric slings which act like a catapult and and basically what you do is you fire the foxes up into the air and the person who wins is the person who can get the fox you know the the fox higher um highest um and there are some wonderful sort of depictions uh of them there's a superb uh engraving of uh, german aristocrats who are um who are you know involved in this and it's something that couples mixed couples uh were involved in and the in german it is called fuchsbrellen uh which literally means fox bouncing and as far as i can gather it's it's either that you you have you let the fox out into an arena and then the fox comes into your sight 
uh, and comes near your sling and then you release the sling um to um throw the fox up into the air and apparently you you know you could get people foxes being you know thrown about seven and a half meters up into the air the problem with it is of course it's not particularly good for the foxes um many of them die from this or are you know horribly injured and then need to be you know need to be sort of um killed uh terminated or um what you get is just really crabby angry foxes I mean, if you were a fox and you'd been thrown up into the air, you'd be pretty mean when you landed and you would snap at, um, you know, all sorts of people. Um, so it's really quite dangerous. One of the one of the most famous um, uh, people um, involved in in fox tossing is Augustus the Second of Saxony, um, who is nicknamed uh, the Strong. And this is a man who you know, was involved in, in various sort of contexts contests uh in this german sport um and you know was supposedly you know super strong could could hold the cloth with one with one finger uh and there's an extraordinary description uh of a contest in 1648 which involved 34 boars driven into an enclosure uh, um to the um and I quote, to the great delectation of the cavaliers, but to the terror of the noble ladies, among whose hoop skirts wild boars committed great havoc to the endless mirth of the assembled company. And then we also see three wolves coming in um, and the, you know, and foxes all being tossed up into the into the air. So it's really quite a sort of an extraordinary, um, really quite an extraordinary sport. But back to the fox tossing octopus wrestling and other forgotten sports because it seems there is a whole history of just really weird sports um the aerial golf uh is one the aquatic tripod baby boxing balloon jumping barking off squirrels barrel jumping baseball with cannon um boxing on horseback car versus bull cat burning um uh, cheetah greyhound racing uh, something called chunky uh, copsole pulling competitive trumpet blowing um, <laughs> dwell flonking eel pulling uh, firework boxing flagpole sitting um, uh, the game of the bridge and other city battles goldfish swallowing hidden hunting cool. hot cockles uh, hunting e otter ice tennis a cutter boss, <laughs> last Ice couple tennis. in hell. I know. Uh, New York bullfighting, octopus wrestling, one-legged cricket. Sam, there's one for you and your family. Uh, very keen cricketers. Phone booth stuffing, phosphorescent golf, pig running, pig sticking, porcupine hunting, uh, something called punt gunning, uh, ratting, uh, ski ballet, stool ball, tip cat, uh, rather like tip cow. Have you ever done play tip cow? Um, a, a local wine merchant uh, who I, I knew quite a, a while back grew up in Devon uh, and talked about cattle tipping, uh, which is basically when a, cat, when a cow falls asleep on its feet, you push it over. Um, not a very nice sport. But this, they, one of the, the, the aerial golf is absolutely extraordinary. Can you imagine what aerial golf is? No. Aerial golf is basically played by, by two people. 
And uh, one is on the ground and the other is in an aeroplane. And <laughs> they are... And, they, and basically, they fly, the person in the aeroplane flies over the golf course and they, they basically do the drive. So that for those of you who don't understand your golf, the drive, you tee up and then you drive off. And so what they're doing is they're, they're in aeroplanes holding golf balls that they then drop onto the course as near to the hole as they can. And one of the first recorded appearances of this was on the 27th of May, 1928, at the old Westbury Golf Club in Long Island in the United States. And the teeing off is basically dropping, dropping the balls. Um, one of the one of the one of the teams, the person dropping was very good. Uh, the other was rubbish and kept dropping it in the rough, as you can imagine. <laughs> But aerial aerial golf. How do we go from fox tossing to aerial golf? Oh, that's easy. I, I'm going to finish up, James. I'm going to finish up with an easy link, if that's okay. Okay, do. Um, yeah, get well games. Um, and uh, I I'm very interested in games of all sorts, and I would like to be a game historian if I could reinvent hmm. myself. Um, and there is a, a very uh, very old um, important strategy game called fox fox and geese. And um, I found a, a beautiful example of a fox and geese board that has survived. It's in the Smithsonian. It was do- donated by a chap called Captain George Merchant Jr. of Gloucester, who was a master mariner. Um, then he became a net repairer once he left the sea. Uh, an important chap, became a councilman of Gloucester, 1857 to 1887. So a simple wooden board. It's got 32 holes in it. Um and a number of pegs and the pegs represent the geese and you have a single longer peg for the fox um and the idea is that uh, one player controls the fox the other controls the geese the fox can move in a straight line in any direction and as it jumps over a geese a goose sorry um, the geese are removed from the board so they become fewer and fewer and to win, the fox has to break through the entire line of geese, which is actually incredibly difficult to do. And the geese themselves are only allowed to move forward or sideways. And their job is to corner the fox so that it cannot move. Um, so it's a bit like drafts. It's very similar to solitaire, which is a game that I know and I, I played with marbles when I was younger. Anyway, it's a very ancient game indeed. Um, there's mentions of it in the Oxford English Dictionary in 1633. Um, there is a reference to it um, in the household accounts of Edward IV of England. Uh, we know that it was a very popular game for Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. And there are some really fascinating examples of ancient games that survive. Um, and not just uh, this one in the uh, the Smithsonian, which is particularly linked with, with the maritime world and sailors. So it's one of a handful of games that we know that sailors played for a very long time. Um, there is a really uh, beautiful example, a really kind of intriguing example, which is carved into the stone benches in the north walk of the cloisters at Gloucester Cathedral. Um, so if you're ever in Gloucester Cathedral, go there, have a look at it, and you'll see... Um, see a, a, a nice worn space where people used to sit down and play this wonderful game of fox and geese. So I'd encourage you all to do that. Uh, but that's it, James. I think our, our history of foxes is all done. Unless you have anything else to add? No, I've just I've just googled up the fox and geese game. Uh, yeah, it's it cool, can isn't be it? Per- purchased. From, do you have a Do you have a set? No, I don't have a set. It, it does look good. Have you also um, read uh, David Parlett's Oxford History of Board Games? No. 
that sounds right up your street. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe Father Christmas. Um, <laughs> maybe Father <laughs> Christmas. Fox-based yeah. gifts. Wonderful yes, stuff. Excellent. Um, guys, thank you for listening to our History of Foxes. We may come back with the History of Wolves, or it might be Brains or Spots. We're not sure yet. It'll be one of those three, I suspect. Um, do please follow me on social media. I'm at Dr. Sam Willis. And if you're interested in maritime and naval history, um, do please listen to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. It's fabulous. And if you are on social media and you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at James Daybell. Uh, the podcast is at Unexpected Pod. We are also on Instagram and Facebook, so come and make friends with us there. Check out our website, historiesoftheunexpected.com, for all our back catalogue and also very useful stocking fillers, signed books on Romans, Tudors, World War II and Vikings, as well as our, our big uh, Histories of the Unexpected book. Um, and if you want to help support uh, what we're doing, head over to our Patreon page. And anything you can do to help us change the way in which we think about the past was very gratefully received indeed. Um, but meanwhile, um, be well um, and stay warm. It's getting colder. Well, it's certainly it's getting just... colder where we are. Uh, in <laughs> Australia, I think it is getting very hot. Um, so enjoy yourselves on the beach there <laughs> that's it for now guys bye bye bye
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.